1: Hello, and thank you all for joining us. This is another episode of From the Newsroom, the Holland Sentinel podcast produced by, obviously, the Holland Sentinel staff. (laughs) I'm Brian Brunelles, the digital director here at the Sentinel, and today I am joined by Sarah Leach, editor-in-chief. Hello. Hi, Sarah. To my right, our Pan Lobo, our up-and-coming young, hot hot young gun reporter. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, He's like the uh, uh, Clark Kent of the newsroom. Uh, this
0: is our mo. We just always embarrass the, the heck out of you before we. He hasn't we said anything yet. Full podcast.
1: <laughs> Hello, Arpan, Thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for the intro,
1: Brian. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, this was uh, your idea, so we're gonna we're gonna go in this direction. Uh, well, luck. you know, well, it, it's obvious we we, we kind of should have probably done a podcast about the Democratic debates from last week or the battle royale royal mm-hmm. rumble i what do they have 20 people involved over two nights
0: yes wait so
1: <laughs> yeah it was really uh, it was a cluster Yeah, yes a lot of people on one stage arpan you watched every single minute of it didn't you
2: i watched every single minute of the second debate the okay. first debate okay. and i caught a recap
1: okay well uh, you're our one of our political reporters here what were, you, what were your takeaways from the both events or both nights it felt
2: like there were two different nights. Honestly, uh, the first night was substantiated for the for the majority of time. The major talking points were plans. Every candidate had a plan. You know, mm-hmm. you had Elizabeth Warren who has run her campaign. I have a plan for everything. Right. You had um, upstart candidates that haven't gotten as much national attention, like a Julian Castro who had his plans for things, and then you had some. Other notable candidates, better O'Rourke on that first night, um, uh, Cory Booker, and they they that night was built up of okay. Here is how we're going to address things. The second night was not nearly as uh, legislative as an event. There were a lot. It was a lot of back and forth, uh, a lot of shouting, a lot of rehashing of old policies that you know from uh, prior um, you know times, and it
1: was things like. There were points where you couldn't hear anybody. People right. were shouting each other. So it was a tale of two nights. And the second night had more of the, I think, what more people are considering contenders.
0: Yeah, the higher polling yeah. candidates. The, yeah. the,
1: the two highest polling candidates
2: at the moment, uh, Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders, were both on the second night. They were right next to each other. I don't know if that was planned or not, but they were both right in the middle of the stage. And then they were kind of surrounded. It could have be, you know, some symbolism here. To Bernie's right was uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's uh, one of the candidates polling below the contenders, but still above 1%. And then to Biden's uh, 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 opposite side of Joe Biden was Kamala Harris, a California senator, who is again, and especially after these debates, is polling much, much higher than the rest of the field.
1: Okay. I always thought for debates like that, they drew posts like uh, horse racing. You know you draw spots to where they positioned on the podium or on the dais i think that made more sense when you didn't have 10 candidates yeah and I, this
0: yeah, nobody has seen anything like this before huh? these last couple of political cycles have been brand new
2: i remember in 2016 during the uh gop primary i was thinking wow there's a lot of people here there's a seven or eight yeah they split them up over two <laughs> uh two two different um debates but now it's 10 people in each night and uh doesn't look like anybody's in position to drop out, so we're probably going to get okay. another set of 10 uh, at the end of July. Uh,
1: in your mind, who were some of the big winners from the two nights? From the first night, I thought
2: Elizabeth Warren did a good job. I thought Cory Booker had a good night. I thought Julian Castro had a good night. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the losers later, but there was one notable <laughs> loser from the first night. The second night, the two biggest winners were Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris, and in that sense, I thought Kamala Harris was able to kind of make a name for herself. In fact, she shot up uh, several points since the right. second uh, night, according to latest polls. And Pete Buttigieg was able to kind of uh, answer the difficult questions posing him. Uh, there was a recent uh, police officer involved shooting in South Bend. And when asked about it, uh, Mayor Pete just came out and he said, I drop the ball, I couldn't get it done. We need to approach this in a better manner. He took a refreshing sense of accountability that you don't always get and you didn't get that night from others.
1: Um, You mentioned Castro. It seemed that um, in some of the stories that I read the following day, he kind of leapt over Beto, um, Beto O'Rourke. Um, more people were talking about Castro, and what he was bring- Did you see O'Rourke as one of the losers from that night? That
2: yes, uh, and particularly because they are both Texas. Yeah. Uh, Beto near, n- narrowly lost to Ted Cruz in twenty eighteen, yeah. and Julian Castro was a former mayor of San Antonio. And so, on the topic of immigration, and uh, w- particularly making uh, entering the United States as an undocumented immigrant making that a civil offense, whether a criminal offense, Castro hammered, hammered Beto over it. He said uh, he wasn't taking the right approach to it. And for for Beto, a Texan who ran on this uh, platform in 2018 as being the progressive uh, candidate, it didn't stack up. Uh, it's almost as if, to me, it seems like sometimes Beto is taking the same approach he took in 2018 when he was running against Ted Cruz. Now, at this point, he's running against two dozen other progressives. Right. And so it hasn't translated as well. He had a lot of initial uh, fervor when he announced, but at this point, um, he, he he has failed to separate himself.
0: It kind of feels like all of the candidates had that sort of flash in the pan ripple effect when they first declared. What do they have to do to keep that kind of momentum and to basically keep you know like stay stay in the in the leading pack? Do you think?
2: You know. The debates like this have definitely helped some uh, of the candidates being able to kind of capture that viral moment, especially mm-hmm. now in, a, in the age of social media where everything's shared instantly. Someone like Kamala Harris, who eviscerated Joe Biden over his uh, policies in the 70s and 80s about busing in schools, and she had a very uh, poignant moment where she said, I was one of those children who was being bused out to you know, a predominantly white school, and you didn't want to see that happen. She was able to kind of make an example of him. And that was able to, uh, that's one thing people are still talking about that uh, four or five days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, for candidates that were ahead of the pack, uh, Joe Biden was front runner, still is, and Bernie Sanders in second. They both were largely seen as having poor nights because they couldn't hold Pat. Mm-hmm. They were seemed to be on the defensive, Biden especially, for the entire night. And so, for these candidates who aren't polling as well, uh, there's so many that aren't even at 1%, but someone like Kamala, who is at 3%, being able to kind of uh, push herself forward up, it's taking that advantage and making sure that you have a lasting positive uh, image until the next opportunity comes up.
0: Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, this is kind of like the old guard versus the new guard, too, because I see a lot of the analysis pieces saying things like um, that the Democratic Party is showing itself as a lot more progressive uh, as the the, the election cycle is, you know, going through, really getting a feel for what these candidates are are saying. Um, What are your thoughts in terms of how, you know, obviously Bernie is um, is kind of an interesting uh, uh, person to, to look at because he he is quite a bit older, but he is one of the more progressive candidates that's up there. Uh, Biden, it would I, I guess you would define him as a more of a moderate, but he's got such broad name household appeal because everybody knows who he is. So um, how do you think that this is going to play out like like in terms of, you know, who's going to be left standing at, you know, in the, like your your top half a dozen when we get closer to um, primary time
2: well i think that once we get toward the primary some of these candidates and there were there were 20, 20 candidates over the two nights there are i believe 25 and five failed to qualify for the debates they didn't hit the donor amount they didn't they didn't poll well enough mm. um, as we get closer to the primary and the first the iowa caucus returns and the candidates who don't receive many votes you'll probably see a drop i think that for candidates like Biden and Sanders, who are older but are polling well, it may – you may see – I think Joe Biden will have to get more progressive, I think, to meet the mean mm-hmm. –
0: the,
2: the median that's been sent by the, set by the field. In 2016, uh, during the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders was the only one, at least at the beginning, that was running on a very, very progressive platform. Right. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that Elizabeth Warren, uh, a- Andrew Yang, a businessman, is literally basing his campaign saying, I'm going to give everybody $1,000 a month. <laughs> I don't think that would have been taken seriously in, in, in 2016, uh, at least as seriously as it's being taken now. You know, He was on the stage. And so I think you'll see candidates from both sides of the, the Democratic uh, platform. I think you'll see them kind of regress towards each other. Mm -hmm. You might see Elizabeth Warren kind of back off on some of these um, further, more progressive policies as she say tries to angle herself against uh, Donald Trump instead of the rest of the field. Mm -hmm. It might be a thing where instead of uh, going yes, we're going to erase student debt. Yes, Medicare for all. Yes, we're going to eliminate the private healthcare industry. It might be a thing where things go to, we'll work on these. It won't be as guaranteed, it'll be more. Here's me presenting myself for
1: everybody, not just the uh, Democrats. You mentioned President Trump. Was this two nights of uh, candidates just going after him continuously, or, or did you see a lot of candidate, candidates saying um, we need to present some issues here that you know we think are important? The first night, uh,
2: Trump Trump didn't come up at all. The the president wasn't a topic. It was like I said, it was mo- mostly on substance. Mm. In fact, uh, he tweeted during the first night. He tweeted <laughs> boring and all caps. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until the second night when his name came up a lot more that you know it it, it turned to a bit of a shouting match. I, I think even at one point before they cut to commercial, uh, Rachel Maddow asked each candidate you know a few words what's your first stance what's the first thing you're going to do as president and then joe biden said i'm going to defeat donald trump and it didn't make sense at least to me watching it because i'm like if you already became the president (laughs) what how how much more can you defeat him it might have been a thing where he's talking about ideology but i I don't know um if he gets the benefit of that doubt It, it it became a thing where every single candidate uh the second night especially was getting a shot in at the president somewhere.
1: What were some issues um, that you think will probably uh, w- or will resonate with with voters? I know uh, we posted a story about um, Sanders saying, you know, he'd like to have free uh, eliminate the student debt, which, boy, that really generated a lot of negative um, yeah. comments. Yeah. Uh, so that might not be something that's doable. But what do you think are some of those issues that could really – you know, strike with reader, uh, strike with voters.
2: Well, with voters, I think that, uh, anytime you talk about the pockets, the, 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 Mm -hmm. the bank accounts of voters. And so a thing like student debt, it resonates healthcare costs, you know, employment benefits, things like that. It resonates a lot. Um, like I said, I don't think that the cancellation of student debt might be a big thing. Now, I don't know if it'll be come next year at this time. Uh, when we're, when we're gearing up for a general election, When it comes down to it, I think the Democrats are trying to, every single one of these candidates is trying to display themselves as someone who will address the problems of every generation. It's a thing where we're looking at protecting entitlements as well as appealing to uh, millennial and Gen Z voters who are strapped
1: with student debt. Uh, Gazing into your crystal ball then do you see somebody like biden or sanders really reaching out to the younger people of america that these
0: yeah i'm kind of curious as to like who you think is going to make the cut come come when we get you know oh, in, into, into the spring that's the question but okay yeah,
2: well <laughs> as <are> our
0: pants <laughs> <picks, though? laughs>
2: as the millennial in the room <laughs> yeah
0: right no, what I, are you trying to say
2: <laughs> i i think that uh i think that bernie as always posted his campaign as being there for uh like younger voters he the, his uh, his stance on public education, higher education, it's nothing new. It's, it's only uh, he's taking it one step further. He's going to cancel uh, student debt. But I remember in 2016 and 2015 when he was campaigning, he stopped in Allendale and he said, we're going to make public education free, even at the college level. So that's not new. For someone like Joe Biden, who is – hold so well off of name recognition. He had a very good uh, I, I, maybe Q rating isn't the right word but he had a very good uh, favorability
1: mm.
2: following um, his time in the White House as Vice President and now for him kind of just for his, for his campaign not to be so substantiative at a certain point I think if he uh, remains and we get far along he will start to have to manufacture these plans for, uh, young voters, uh, older voters, I mean, it's got to go further than just, Oh, we need to defeat Donald Trump. I, I think so. At least
0: I was, I'm curious as to, you know, in a, in an area like ours where we tend to, um, be more of a, of a Republican county, but the urban centers tend to be more democratic. And, and, you know, we're not uncommon in that way across a lot of counties and in the countries. Um, so how, how does a candidate who's, you know, just getting their campaign going in full, at full steam right now, how do they position themselves to be able to look like the, like the most Democrat, Democratic of Democrats and then immediately pivot and then be able to not only... Beat an incumbent sitting president, but also appeal to a wide array of voters when we're probably the most politically divided ever in our history.
2: I th- I think that a lot of it has to do with appealing to the this a big term came up in, in twenty sixteen was the working class. I think appealing to the working class because they might have ideed, uh, ideal ideal uh, excuse me ideologies in a certain manner. They still will resonate with uh, certain things. They might they might vote right on things like um, uh, you know, like hunting licenses and mm-hmm. uh, you know government spending. But at the same time, they want their pensions protected. They want their uh, uh, they want to keep their Medicare things like that. So, so the candidate that's able to kind of resonate the most with uh, voters in kind of uh, divided counties by being able to. Uh, show the track record of saying, hey, I've, I've campaigned on this issue and I understand this issue. So my campaign will address both. It's not just um, in, in 2016, we saw the most successful campaign run on, I'm going to drain the swamp. I'm going to get out there, you know, and I'm going to protect you. And that that sort of populism, I think, worked then, and I think it'll work again. Uh, I think this time, though, especially among the Democrats, they want a bit more substance than just, you know, uh, draining the swamp. So they want to know how they're going to be protected.
0: Do you think that like a more crowded field actually benefits the party or does it does it work against the party? I mean, personally, I think that it's too there are too many people to learn about which is already a challenge, you know, when you, you're battling with voter apathy and, you know, people just don't, they don't watch news cycles constantly like like we do. Right, um, right. So, like, how do you stay educated on that kind of thing? Like, you're, you're fighting the, the ignorance of the common voter. So, I, I mean, personally, I think it works against the party to have that many candidates. But what are your thoughts?
2: Right now, I don't see it as a big problem uh, because we're so far out. We're still well over a year away from an election. The further we get along, if we get past... You know, see, Michigan is not one of the first primaries. It's closer towards the middle. Right. If we get there and there are still over a dozen candidates, then there might be a problem. Because all this infighting between the Democrats is just going to leave them vulnerable come a general election.
0: Right.
2: Um, I, I think right now the Republicans and President Trump, they're able to kind of see, okay, we, we know the weaknesses of each campaign at this moment. The further this goes on, if there's more debates, if there's more infighting. They'll be able to pull that more, and they'll be able to take advantage of it to, you know, the uninformed voter that just shows up in November 2020.
0: Right. I suppose it does work against the Republicans too because they don't really know like who to focus on, quite yet either. So right. I mean, I suppose that that's an equalizer.
2: Right. Uh, I I definitely think um, that some of the some of the faces in the in this Democratic field they're not new faces to the Republicans. Right. They've been going after them for a while. Uh, Biden, Bernie, uh, Elizabeth Warren. They're not. Uh, uncommon foes, maybe maybe like Kamala Harris or Kirsten Gillibrand or Pete Buttigieg, they're not as uh, they're not as you know worn to the Republican mm-hmm. uh, Party. But I think for the most part, they they know what they're dealing with at the top.
0: Yeah, Brian, who do you think? What, like, do you have like um, any picks on who you think is going to survive come the primary selection time?
1: I really don't think. Uh, Biden or Sanders are, are going to be there at the end. Really? Yeah. You
0: don't think that they'll make it that far?
1: I think they will, but so they just won't. I won't. I don't think they they'll be the. It. I don't think they'll be the nomination. Interesting. Yeah.
0: What about you, Arca?
1: I
2: think Sanders has a better chance than Biden. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think just looking at the way Biden is trending there before, because he was one of the latter uh, uh, entrants, there was already a lot of uh, negative momentum built up. And then it seems like the one thing that the other 24 candidates are united on is that Joe Biden isn't the right uh, mm. pick for our party. And so it doesn't matter even the younger candidates, the older candidates, they're like, okay, I think even even like a minor candidate, Eric Swalwell, a senator from California, I'm sorry, a congressman from California, uh, he was even able to kind of you know have a big moment by going after Joe Biden. Uh, he, when he quoted Biden himself, about the passing of the torch of the Democratic Party. And he took a Biden quote from the, I, I believe it was from the 80s or 90s. And he took that and applied it now. And then Biden just kind of, you know, had to roll with it. But I, I, I agree with Brian. I don't uh, see him making it to the end. Bernie, I'm not so sure about. I think that he will stay in it as long as he can. In 2016, when, um, He's he's he stuck around for a while. It was only until the very end where he things weren't looking good for him. He knew he wasn't going to get the nomination. He withdrew and threw his support uh, behind Hillary. I don't know if uh, that'll happen again. It's a crowded field. So, and again, we're so we're so early into it. It's difficult to predict how things are going to look even six months from now, let alone over a year from now. I'm going to call it. I think it's Warrens. Really? Yeah. She is trending upward, in my opinion. I think that she's resonating uh, with more and more people as we get further along. Yeah, I think she's um, Oh, go ahead.
0: It, I, I don't really know like who will get it. But I just I, I just have a feeling that um, if, if no matter who the candidate is, if they have, you know, any shot at all, it would have to be somebody who is not um, radically left. Uh, Because I think that if you want to do overall appeal, there's no way that you're going to be able to beat Trump and have widespread appeal across enough demographics to actually secure... Mm. The vote in the, yeah. in the general election, unless you have some sort of a moderate stance on, yeah. on a lot right. of these issues, there's right. no way you're going to sway those voters.
2: And the, the the election will come down to a handful of states. It's not. I, I don't think Elizabeth Warren needs to go out and win Oklahoma in the same way right. Donald Trump isn't going to win California. Right. It's going to come down to the Michigans, the Ohio's. Wisconsin's, Wisconsin. not yeah. actually
0: even considered a swing state anymore. I mean, that's, that's actually kind of default a little bit too. It's Florida, still Florida, is, yeah. Florida, right? Florida Michigan, Ohio,
2: Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania yeah. Indiana. Okay. Um, all those went red in 2016. Right. That was the difference. But some of them
0: by pretty small margins. Wasn't ours like, like 10,000. It was, v-
2: Michigan was a very, very close margin. Yeah, um, relatively, um, uh, and the, you saw that in 2016 with the, with the president vice president campaigning, especially in West Michigan, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll probably be the case again. If I had to uh, predict, I can't imagine. We've already seen uh, several candidates come through Michigan, a yeah. couple coming through West Michigan. Right. Bernie Sanders was in Coopersville in April. Right. Um, so it there's definitely it's going to come down to those states again, and being able to appeal to those voters, you're right. There there will need to be some moderate uh, stances from whoever the Democratic candidate is.
0: Do you think that this is a shift in in uh, national politics where we're going to see longer political seasons? Like, is that is this just kind of like because Trump is such a polarizing figure when he was running, you know, last cycle and then also, again, will, will it kind of like go back to status quo if he doesn't win? Or do you think that this is sort of like a trend where we're going <laughs> to... You know, it's, it's kind of exhausting at a certain point. I mean, just for the lay people, for us, it's, it's very exhausting because we constantly have to be paying attention to where people are and if there's local, you know, interest in, in, you know, what they're doing. But I mean, are we going to see two year election cycles? Because I just, we've never seen anything like that before.
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I think that Trump being is such a polarizing, uh, figure and also, the, the Democrats they view the White House as vulnerable, mm-hmm. so that's why everybody was jumping to be able to, you know, say I, I could I could win this election, I could win a general election. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. I do think, though, as we get further in the future, uh, just the way our our our, our political um, climate as it is right now is very divided, and so if a candidate has any detractors, or if a president has any detractors. There's going to be support behind an opposition. Uh And so depending on how the climate plays out, if it stays like this for, you know, say in 2024, then by, you know, the end of 2021, you might have people starting to line up for um, president
0: grief. And that's when I get out of this business.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He can join. You can join me at Sunnyside uh, Retirement Home (laughs) for journalists.
0: (laughs) I hope I never lived to see that day.
1: Arpan, <laughs> did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? The only thing that I'd want to leave with
2: is that we are still so far away from anything being yeah. clear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I watched, uh, you know, mo- most of this debate. and I, I read about it. I, I, I tried to stay as informed as I can. And I still think, you know, what was the storyline in June of 2015, July of 2015? Mm-hmm. And what did it end up being in November 2016? Because right. you have a hard time remembering. I don't even remember. Right,
0: right. What, what, so much. Ha- well, I mean, with the yeah. with the Clinton email investigation. I mean, that was right. a big, you know, factor. Right. Um, it, is
2: something is something going to come up and you know, blindside us out of yeah, nowhere? It can take
0: a candidate right it, out of the It running, can yeah. take
2: a candidate right out. It can boost a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see.
0: I mean, Biden might ultimately, you know, rally. You never know because because obviously they're, they're immediately going to go after the who they perceive to be the front runner so that it improves their own chances. So mm-hmm. by um, going after him, you know, quite aggressively in the second night, that might show that they think that he's got a pretty good chance. So, we, you know, we just don't know.
1: Could something minor knock a candidate out after we've seen the Trump what he said,
2: throughout he, he's the entire he, he is graded campaign. on a different scale. That's the that's the big you know, thing. You because you're you're right. Anything that would have like if an access Hollywood tape came out and Joe Biden had said what uh, <laughs> Trump had said, it would be he would it have out.
0: He, he would be
2: done <laughs> yeah. before you know the next news cycle. But because tr- Trump was always the you know the. Uh, I don't want to say radical candidate, but always the outsider candidate. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: well, and the Democratic Party has, you know, its whole base platform is is predicated on certain principles, right? That if their yeah. own candidate does, it like engages in, mm-hmm.
1: but that's what I, I, I the know. GOP was for I, decades <laughs> was. The moral right, majority. All <laughs> oh, right, never mind. <laughs>
2: different
0: times. <laughs> but <laughs> right, I'm just different. saying, you know, like, when you, when, you have, when you have a party that's rallying around, you know, like, women's rights and minority rights, you can't be perceived as being hypocritical or else you're not going to get them to, to follow you and mm-hmm. vote for you. Mm-hmm. I mean.
2: Joe, Bi- Joe Biden's votes from the 70s are coming up.
0: Yeah. Like yeah.
2: Nearly 50 years later, it's being brought up as a, as a point where he can't be president now. It's, and you got to admit that Trump is
0: kind of like a. I mean, he's kind of like a unicorn. Like, we've never seen anything right. like, was, you know what I mean? It was unique. He, yeah, yeah. He, he, the swagger, the personality. Um, you know, he, he's obviously extremely, you know, um, well off so that he can weather a lot of these storms without it affecting him financially or with donors. You know, he was able to weather a lot of storms um, in the earlier parts of the election cycle. Mm.
2: So I definitely think that if if an Access Hollywood tape comes out for any one of these uh democratic candidates they'll be done a lot of them will be done before it even gets to that point but that would be the death knell for most of them if not all of them
0: right It'll be interesting to see when's the next debate
2: it is july 30th and july 31st live from the fox theater in detroit michigan so <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in uh the west michigan you plan on making a trip let us know yeah we We'd love to know yeah, why. Yeah, we'd why, like to see
0: what your experience is, yeah.
2: What your experience is and why uh, you decided to take the opportunity to debate. Now, I do not know how ticket sales will work. Mm. I don't know if they've gone on sale. I don't know if it's like open to donors or open to members of uh-huh. like the, the uh, DNC. But
0: Will they um, shake up the lineups, too, so that they're not the same candidates on nights one and two? Or will they leave them together? Get I have together? to
2: imagine they, they'd shake them up. I, I, I think they would I, have to. I don't think they would roll out because it, it looked like the same debate, especially just a month. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows what the big news will be uh, at the end of July because right. I'm sure something will... Um, something that we haven't heard of now will be a big talking point sure. at those debates. Sure. So It'll be interesting to see. I think Vince McMahon will be MC that night. <laughs> as long as it's only one MC.
1: The Royal Rumble from the Fox
0: Theater. <laughs> we we, we, we to see a pile driver. Yeah. We have...
2: <laughs> we had five different moderators and at, at times it felt like it was a Chuck Todd and Rachel Maddow show then yeah, rather that's
0: than, a, that's a really interesting point. I, do you find that absurd? Cause I found that kind of absurd to like switch out all of these people mm-hmm. who are asking the, like, what was the, I mean, just stop it.
2: I think we could <laughs> just, work just pick one or two
0: people and just, you know, like, and have them in different nights or something. I, I just don't understand like why that was so necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe they
2: awkward. felt because we have 10 people on stage, we need, we need more people to balance them out. I don't know.
0: I feel like two two or three you know, moderators is more than enough. We didn't need to swap them out midway through like a track meet. Yeah. It was just weird.
1: Just pass the baton. Yeah. I think on that note, we will wrap this up. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds good. good. Sounds good. All right. So on behalf of our fan Lobo and Sarah Leach, I'm Brian Renellis. Thank you all for joining us on From the Newsroom.